hearts and our minds in tune with what the Spirit of the Lord is doing this morning in preparation for the sharing the elements of the supper, which we'll be doing in just a few minutes. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, um, we're going to continue our conversation about God's objective here. You know, we've, we've been discussing that in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with the Gospels. We see the what of Jesus and the who of Jesus. We see him coming. He's introduced. We kind of walk with him through his life. We see his death, his burial, his resurrection. But in the book of Romans, Paul is writing there with a different objective, not so much to tell the what of Jesus, but to explain the why. Why did Jesus come? What was his purpose in being here? What did he accomplish? And we, we've, we've, been, we've been putting together this, it's like putting together a puzzle where he just keeps giving chapter after chapter, piece after piece that fits in. And the idea is when we get through to the end of the book of Romans, particularly through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, we come to the conclusion, oh yeah, this is why he came. And this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, only the first four verses this morning. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and just kind of hold them open to chapter 8, and we're going to look at very intently at these first four verses and talk about the why of the cross. Because chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 has the cross all through it. The rationale for the cross, the objective of the cross of Jesus Christ is seen right here. Now, this is, this is the Passion Week. This Palm Sunday today, Easter Sunday next week. Friday is Good Friday. It's when the church steps back and, and slows down a little bit and really thinks through the cross of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And I don't think we see it any more clearly defined than in Romans chapter 8. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do, and by the way, those of you that are kind of looking at the, there's people in the back who have this outline that I gave them on Thursday that has changed completely since then. And they're like, this doesn't sound anything like what I'm seeing. Just, you can just leave that screen up right there throughout. It's okay. Uh, we're not worried about trying to keep up with the sermon because it has changed pretty radically. So we're just going to go with what we got, okay, because I get to do that. That's the good part of being in charge, I guess. <laughs> so we're going to go with what the Spirit is leading us to do. So we're going to look at the cross. And what I want to do, I started this with the children. I taught them a new word. What was that word? Communion, And most of you knew that word, and you knew it was a word that also uh, represented the Lord's Supper. There are other words that are being used in Christendom about that, that represent that. But I like the communion word because it talks about unity. It reminds us of unity and oneness, that we are together uh, on some things. We're together with the Lord, and we're together one with another. So to kind of keep that theme going, I have three words or terms that I want to teach you this morning out of these first four verses. And I challenge you to learn them. And I want you to think about them as 
we share in the elements of the supper in just a few moments, okay? The first word is the word justification. Say that. Justification. justification. Okay, that's the word that I want to teach this morning. What is that and where do we find it? Well, listen in chapter 8, verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, let's just deal with that for a second. There is now no condemnation. Well, where did condemnation come from? Well, according to Scripture, condemnation was a result of sin. And all sin and fall short of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, if you'll go back to John chapter 3. We love John chapter 3 and verse 16. God loved the world so much he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we've memorized that verse, most of us, from the time we were children. But let's start reading in verse 17. Let's finish the story. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So if Jesus didn't condemn the world, but came to save the world, then who did condemn the world? What, why do we have to worry about condemnation? Well, let's look at the next verse. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light came into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, the Bible teaches very clearly that the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we have been condemned by God. But something had to happen to deal with that condemnation. And we read about that in chapter 8. It says, now there is no condemnation. So what happened? Go back to chapter 5. And he's, remember, we're putting a puzzle together. Chapter 5, he's already told us what happened. In chapter 5, verse 1, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that peace doesn't mean at ease with God. We talked about that when we did chapter 5. It means rather that something has been settled between us and God. That we are no longer enemies with God. We are no longer at enmity with God. Something has taken place. We have been justified. Our sins have been forgiven. And because of what God has done for us, we now have a way to escape that condemnation. And what he did for us is he provided justification. Our sins have been handled. Now, how were our sins handled? Let's talk about that. Because we see that in chapter 8, verse 3 and following. 
We're there. He's going to teach us a new concept, and it's a new term for you that I want you to remember. It is called substitutionary atonement. That's a lot. Let's say it together. Substitutionary atonement. All right, so let's read on. It says this in verse chapter 8, beginning in verse, uh, the last part of verse 2, he says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Now, if, you want, if you're one of those that, that likes to, to take notes in your Bible, in the margin of your Bible would be a good place right there to write C-R-O-S-S, cross. By sending his son to do what? Substitutionary atonement. That's what he sent his son to do. Now, you know what the word substitution means. That means that someone did something in your place. That Jesus came to do something. Well, he came to atone for our sin. Now, you know that word atone. If, if someone commits a crime and that someone committed that crime and is found guilty and sent to prison... Right? And that person serves out his or her sentence in prison. When they get out of prison, we can say to, about them, they committed a crime, but they have atoned for their crime. Correct? That's what that means. They have paid for their crime. Atonement has been made. All right, so the Bible says we are all sinners, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And it says the wages of sin is death, so we're in big trouble. We have been condemned because of our sin. But there is no condemnation for those who believe. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's... That's the objective of the cross. Now listen, make no mistake about it. God does not wink at sin. You do not get away scot-free as a sinner because what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid the price for your sin. He took your place. And that's what it means substitutionary atonement and like any child in this room can say as a couple of them shared this morning if I asked what did Jesus do for you they would most likely respond he died on the cross for my sin yes he did substitutionary atonement now, let's, let's read on, because I'm going to teach you another word. Verse, th verse 3 and 4. Um, it says, by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That the righteous 
requirement. So do you remember when we started putting this puzzle together, we saw this gap between the holiness of God, which we established as someone wearing a crown over here, and the very best person on the planet, which was way over here, and then the rest of us out there in the parking lot somewhere. You remember that sermon? I get feedback on that sermon all the time about living in the parking lot. Remember that? There's a gap. There was nothing that we could do on our own to bridge that gap, to once again be able to have fellowship with a righteous, a holy, a perfect God. We could not do that. We could not earn it. We could not acquire it. We could not live lives well enough, good enough, perfect enough. So the third term is imputed righteousness. Say that. Imputed righteousness. So the Bible teaches that as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, as a result of his death, burial, and resurrection, when we come to know him by faith, surrendering our lives before him, he takes these sinful, broken, dirty lives, he he restores them, And he imputes or gives to each of us his very own righteousness. That's what that word means. It means to give away. He imputes. He gives his righteousness to us so that, according to this, we now meet this righteous requirement before God. Not because of our righteousness, but because of his. Turn in your Bible right quick to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So who's the one who knew no sin? Jesus. So for our sake... God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, or to carry sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? And there you see the objective of the cross. Justification, dealing with the sin problem, removing the condemnation that accompanied this issue of sin from the very beginning. We see substitutionary atonement for, as it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our place, substitutionary atonement. And then we see this imputed righteousness so that from now on throughout all eternity because of Jesus, we have met the requirement of righteousness. So one of these days we will stand before our righteous judge. Do you believe that? I believe every, every man and woman, boy and girl are going to one day meet their maker. 
and stand before him. And I believe that in that moment, we're going to be judged for all of our deeds, everything we did, everything we said, everything we thought. And like me, I think every other person on the planet, including me, are going to stand there and recognize the fact that there's nothing righteous about me. No, not one thing in and of myself. And in that moment, I believe that Jesus, the risen Savior, who is now King of kings and Lord of lords, is going to have the final word of my eternal destiny. Either enter in, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. That's the two choices. And to those he allows to enter in, it says that the Father is going to proclaim or to speak them righteous because of what they have done with his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be righteous because of what I've done. I'm going to be found righteous because of what he has done and the fact that because of what he has done, the Father has said so. And what the Father says so is true eternally. Now we begin to understand the objective of his cross. As we go back to the word of God found in the book of John. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was fulfilled in the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And so the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Join me in prayer. 
Father, as we are reminded of this story, our hearts are moved. And what a great price you were willing to pay for justification, for atonement, and for our righteousness. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you would take the top off of the other side of the container and listen as I read. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So a soldier came and he broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness his testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. Join me in prayer. Again, Lord, we... Remember the heavy hearts, the great, great price you were willing to pay, and we thank you. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as we close the service. I'm going to close it a little differently than we normally do, than we really ever do. I want to close this with a final word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask for no singing or no music and little, if any, talking. And I'm going to ask you to leave the sanctuary quietly. And I'm going to say without apology that we won't be quiet in here next Sunday. But today, we leave remembering. Father, again, as we close out our service and our time together, I thank you for the communion that we share as a family, a family of faith. I thank you that we are held together because of your grace, your mercy, your truth, 
because of your great salvation. Lord, as we leave here this morning, we leave somberly, remembering your cross and the price you paid for us. But we will, God willing, return again rejoicing. For there is always mercy in the morning. We look forward to what you're going to do in here next. Have your way as we leave this place today. Again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.